good to see all of you here this morning. And um, uh, I was going to preach about marriage this morning, so I'm glad you guys are here. I'm preaching about successful marriages, so you guys are all examples of that, correct? Actually, I struggled with, uh, with the message. The one that's in your bulletin is not the title, because if I was to uh, talk about marriage being uh, uh, an eternity of eternal love, laughter, and laundry, we would be here till like 3 o'clock. And I don't want to do a series. I don't mind a series, but I don't want to do them all in one morning. So uh, I kind of shortened things up a little bit, and I just want to take us back to what marriage was intended to be here. We'll take another look at that. And I, my prayer this week has just been that this blesses you. And, and, but before we jump into that, I want to share with us our memory verse for this month. I like to have a memory verse for people. And this is Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 10 and 11. And it says this, Be strong, finally, say it with me, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Wow. And I think that there's no scheme of the devil that, has, that he has initiated more than the one of destroying the relationships between men and women, and especially uh, the, the, the institution of, of marriage. I've entitled this, I changed the title to this to just marriage, the loving difference. In fourth grade Sunday school, the teacher asked the class, what does God say about marriage? Immediately, a little boy raised his hand and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of the way it is when, you know, you fall in love and, and you, you date. And, you know, that can be a little bit of a trap, too, that dating process, because we put on our best. And we should. Um, but then after we're married for a little bit, uh, the best becomes a little bit less than our best. And then sometimes it comes to the worse. That's why it says for better or for worse. And of course, we're all standing going for the better, for the better. Um, Paul writes a letter to the Ephesians. And we've been studying, if you're visiting here today, we've been working through the book of Ephesians for the last several months, except for August. And, um, but in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul's been outlining what we've been given through Christ and his cross, and there's some challenging things because of that. He says that through him and through the blood of Christ, we've been redeemed, and we just celebrated that redemption through his blood. That redemption means we're brought back to, from what that fallen part of us was, that, that part of us that says, God, I'm not going to do things your way. I'm going to be my own person. Thank you very much. And through the blood of Christ, we are redeemed. We're brought back. We've been, we've been sold into slavery, but we're no longer slaves. We're no longer sinners. We are saints of God because of what Christ has done for us. And then through him, we also have forgiveness. Oh, doesn't that feel good, huh? Then a future and a hope of eternal life because of that forgiveness. Through Christ and his cross, we have become containers of God's Holy Spirit. And I'm just outlining the first several chapters here of, of uh, the book of Ephesians. It's a very important book. And that being a container of the Holy Spirit boils down to the power to walk or to conduct or think differently than how we used to think. The scripture tells us that old things are passing away or they have passed away and are passing away. If any man is in Christ, any man or woman, if anyone is in Christ, behold, all things become new. Old things are passing away. 
and new things are coming your way. And so that's that walk. Then he talks about walk. He goes from, from uh, not being, we're no longer conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. We need to prove what the will of God is, and, and that proof that God is in us is in our conduct. We're, we don't conduct ourselves to be saved anymore. That's a done issue. We conduct ourselves because we're making full proof that there's something that's changed in us. If there's something that's changed in us, it shows up somewhere. If you paint your car, it's a different color. If you buy a different car and put it in your garage, you have a different vehicle, right? You buy a new house, it's different. If you pay to have something done in your house, a remodel job, you want people to come in and say, wow, that looks different. So God has paid the price for a powerful remodel job in us, or actually a start of a new creation in us, and he wants you to shine like a light in the world so that people can say, wow, that's good work, God. And you know what he gets? He gets all the glory for that. See, we're the redeemed of the Lord. And the scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And not only just say so on Sunday morning, but live so. Let the redeemed of the Lord walk like they're the redeemed of the Lord. That's a difficult thing to do without the Holy Spirit. That's why the next several chapters in Ephesians, those first three, he talks about the Holy Spirit in us. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. If you try to do, if you try to do your Christian walk or your faith with Christ alone, then you're just religious. And there's a lot of religious people that are trusting and putting all their faith in their doctrines and their religion. Not that those are bad things. It's just that there's no spirit, wind, or spirit power in that. Living by your, your church denomination affiliation and your doctrines of your church, there's no power in any of that. As good as it might be, there's no power in it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that brings all those things to life in us. That's what's seen. That's what becomes visible. We pray, thy kingdom come. That means that I want no longer to be conformed to this world, but I want to be transformed by that renewing of my mind, the way that I think, the way that I act, the, the, the things I do. Now, do I still mess up? Yeah. And my wife reminds me. <laughs> I told her I was going to preach on marriage today, and I said, honey, when I get done, I'm going to ask you to fill in any blanks that I might have missed, okay? So we prove God's resurrection power in the way that we conduct ourselves. That's why he talks about walk this way, walk this way, walk this way, walk this way, walk this way. That's that walk. It's, it means that we, we're thinking different. Now, marriage in itself remains a mystery to many and of very little importance to most in our society today. Perhaps you're here and you've grown up in a failed marriage, and so someplace along the line you just said, you know what, um, my mom and dad didn't get along, um, I was in a home, didn't have mom or dad, or maybe you didn't have dad, I, so I'm not going that direction, it was too painful, I don't, don't want to go there. I'm not getting married. 
Or maybe you've been married, it just didn't work out for you, and it's easy to just simply say at that point, and I ain't going to let that happen again. You have a lot of people in our society that believe that marriage is a mistake. That God somehow screwed up. What was he thinking? And what I want to share with you today is that that's the world talk. That comes out of pain. God's interruption of God's plan comes out of pain. Anytime there's pain, we build a theology that relieves our pain. Instead of going to what the Word of God says to relieve our pain and to get back to the basics of what he says about a subject, we create a whole different look of what it's supposed to look like. We, we, we create a whole different um, uh, a marriage thought. We, we create something in there that's going to relieve our pain or justify the way that I live that's separated from what God's original plan was for my life. And God understands that. No guilt, no condemnation here. That's not what this is about today. I'm just saying to us that redemption means you come back to the original drawing plan. We're... Um, as many of you know, we're building a, a condo here in town, and, and uh, we have a guy that's drawn up some, some plans. It's good to have a plan. You can't just go into some place and just say, oh, I think it ought to be over here. I think that would look good over there, because if you do that, you're going to have a mess. Nobody's going to know what's going on. That's what's happened to marriage today. Everybody's got a different plan of what it's supposed to look like, and we believe all of these different plans. So today, we're going to take a look at some passages of Scripture. Is that okay? Well, for the two or three of you, you can stay. The rest of you. All right, so let's take a look at this. Now, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, and it's interesting to me that the apostle moves from the apostle moves from all of this talk about who we are and how we're supposed to walk, and the very, the very first thing that he, that he gives us as a proof, like, like my mama used to say, the proof's in the pudding, right? The very evidence, the very proof that things are going, <laughs> the proving ground for your faith is marriage. What were you thinking how does that work? <laughs> God knows what he's doing. So I'm going to read this, and I'm going to read it in the Amplified Bible. So I want you to listen carefully. Read along with me. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, offering praise by singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Listen, being subject to one another out of reference for Christ. Hmm. Then he goes on. That's a general statement. Subject to one another. Then he goes on and breaks that down into the marriage relationship. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. 
For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. Now, how many have I lost you already? Because if I read this text at a wedding, I, I, I watch the, I know who the women's livers are in the crowd, because suddenly they just go. I ain't submitting to him. Are you nuts? I don't see any, I don't see any of that going on here, so we're, I'm going to move on then, okay? Wives, be subject to your own husbands as a service. I like that. As a service to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their own husbands in everything. And in parenthesis, respecting both their position as a protector and their responsibility to God as the head of the house. Protection. Responsibility. Okay, that's to the wives. That's why I have that in pink. To the husbands then, he says, husbands, that's in blue, so you know it's for me. Husbands, love your wives, parenthesis, seek the highest good for her and surround her with a caring, unselfish love. Just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify the church, his bride, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word of God, so that in turn he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy, in other words, set apart for God and blameless. Even so, husbands should and are morally obligated to love their own wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Isn't that the coolest thing you ever heard, ladies? Men? You love yourself? Yeah. Too much. But if you really love yourself, you'll love your wife. That's the evidence, that's the proof that I love myself in the right way because I love her, I love my wife. Husbands love and are morally obligated to love their own wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own body, but instead he nourishes it and protects and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So the two become one, and the husband is nourishing, caring for, loving, protecting, because she's a member of my body, and I like my body. All right, then back to the blue again. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined and be faithfully devoted to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery of two becoming one is great. Now, he doesn't deny that. I like that. It's a mystery. And it is very mysterious how it works, isn't it? Between a husband and a wife. My goodness, it's a mystery. 
The mystery of two becoming one is great, but I'm speaking with reference to the relationship of Christ and the church. However, each man among you, without exception, is to love his wife as his very own self, with behavior worthy of respect and esteem. Oh, now that's where it is, isn't it? Behavior. That's something that we don't want to even talk about today. I mean, nobody wants to be disciplined for poor behavior. Behave yourself. That's, what does behave mean anyway? Behave. Behave. I don't know. Behave. Behave yourself. Your behavior is worthy of respect and esteem for her. I esteem her and I love her as myself. And how does she know that? Because of my behavior. I'm always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness. Now back in the pink. And the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband. And that word respect is really a better, that's a better word than, than the word submit. Could be respect. And I like several places in scripture the apostle uses the word respect. She respects him. Men operate really well when they know they're respected. Okay, respect and delight in her husband. She delights in her husband. When I come home from work on a long day, my wife greets me at the door just going. <laughs> no, that's our black lab. Never mind, I forgot. No. She delights in him. She, re she notices him and prefers him, even though she notices him. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? How you got to laugh? She prefers him and treats him with loving kindness, or loving concern, rather. Treasuring him, honoring him, and holding him dear. Okay. Well, that's a whole lot, and like I said, uh, to unpack all that, we would be here, we could do a, a week-long seminar, and there are books and there are seminars that will do just that, and I just encourage you, if you haven't been to a marriage retreat or a marriage seminar in a long time or have never been to one, connect with one of those and, and go, it's a great weekend, and you'll kind of restore relationships, but we don't have time for that here today, but just bring us back to some definitions. So this is the way it's supposed to work, then the question has to be asked, then why doesn't it? Well, it's her fault, right? Or you can say, well, it doesn't work because it's his fault, right? But whose fault is it? May I say to you, it's the devil's fault? Can I get away with that today? Can I get away with blaming the devil for what's going on in marriages today? Yeah, yeah, I can. Because it goes all the way back to this first couple and the first marriage ever. So let's go back there in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said? That's the great question. He asked that about every area of our life when we begin to deviate from God's word and maybe it's through whatever the painful issues of that 
moment were, and we begin to create a theology of our own because the devil says, well, has God really said that? Does God really know what he's talking about? Does God really want the best for you? Has the times changed and God hasn't? Remember, he's the ancient of days. He needs to come up to the 20th first century. Forgot which one I was in. God needs to change. He hasn't changed. He hasn't kept up with Hollywood. Doesn't he see what's going on? Doesn't he know that he's outdated? He's so old. Has God said, You shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden, but the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we can eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, If you eat from that, you're, or even touch it and look at it, you're going to die. And she kind of fabricated some things that God had said, added to it. <laughs> now the serpent said to the woman, You won't die. Come on. For God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman, woman took a look at the tree, and that was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was a tree that was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also her to her husband, and he ate it with her. And then it says this, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. It's interesting that when sin entered the world, the only two people in it began to hide from God and from each other. And notice what they didn't hide. They didn't hide their eyes. Didn't hide their mouth. That was part of what they, the sin of eating. They didn't hide, they didn't cover up their hands with mittens. They didn't cover their feet because that's what led them over to that tree. No, they covered up the things that made them uniquely different. They became embarrassed. They were naked and unashamed. Now because of sin, they covered up their differences. And the devil has worked very hard at getting us to look at our differences and hide them. We want to get rid of them. That's why we want equality. We want equal, the sexes to be equal. Now, we should be equal in pay. Right? Ladies, you need equal pay. Uh, you should be equally loved by God, and you are. He doesn't, have any, he doesn't have any favorites. You're all favorites. Whether you're male or female or Greek or Jew or black or white or yellow, they're all precious in his sight, right? Sing a song. So there, are, there is equality that God... But God created us uniquely different. And he created our differences for a purpose. And because the devil has worked so hard at focusing on our differences that we're trying to be same as or better than. That's what the fall has done. 
Women want to be better. Men want to be better. You need to submit to me. Through the years I've as pastoring, I've been to churches that women can't be on a board at all. And yet they teach Sunday school, and every board member that I know goes home and tells his wife what the board meeting was about and what she thinks of it. I don't get it. <laughs> if we didn't have women here at Calvary Church, we wouldn't have a church. The men won't even get up. I'm sleeping in today, and there's a ball game this afternoon, and I'll watch that. <laughs> they begin to hide, hid from God. And hid from each other. How many people in marriages, even Christian marriage, are hiding from God? They get up in the morning and they're laying beside the, the one that should have already gotten up and made breakfast for them already. <laughs> but, they're, but they're laying there and, and they go on with life. And you never, in God's word, never pray together, Ever ask God what he thinks about a situation in their life until there's a major thing that happens, then they panic. These are Christian families. What? And we want the Holy Spirit, we want God, and we want our marriage to be successful. But we're hiding from God. Well, the only reason I ever hide from God is because I don't want to do what he wants me to do. And it's just easier for me to say, God, you know what? I don't want to do it your way. And if I'm around you, I feel like I get so convicted, not because you're yelling at me or hollering at me or condemning me or judging me, just your presence is so holy and so perfect and so right, and I know that I should do this, but I don't want to. It's a tantrum, <laughs> and it separates us from God, and then it separates us from each other, because, well, what did Adam say to, to God when God went looking for him in the garden? He said, what are you doing out here? He goes, chasing you. Did <laughs> you know that God loves you so much he'll chase you? He's like, a, he's like the hound from heaven. He will sniff you out. He chases you down, and he says, what are you doing hiding out here, John? Well, it's her fault. <laughs> right? Yeah. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I still think it's her fault sometimes. I've got to remind myself, wait a minute. No, this is my stuff I'm dealing with here. And, of course, then he asked the woman, what are you doing out here? He said, the devil made me do it. <laughs> Honey. 
So, so there's this battle that's going on. And, and the main thing, the, the, the battle is really about, I want to up one on my mate. I want to be here, and she's not there. And she's, you know, she's, she wants to be here. And I, how dare her try to control my life? How dare her be in charge? And, and, how, and, and, and she's going, I'm not submitting to him. He doesn't treat me right. And she, so is it any wonder that people don't want to get married anymore? Because they just misunderstand what God has intended. Let's do a refreshing reality check on male and female relationships here. First thing in Genesis, it says God made man from dirt. That's why he gets dirty. What do you expect him to be? There's like, who was the, the Peanuts character? Pigpen. Every place he went, man, there's just pile of dust all around him. That's, that's the way I feel sometimes when I'm, when I'm walking around. It's like there's this big pile of dust. Well, I'm made out of dust. Then he, made, then he says, okay, I'm not going to make woman out of dust. That's why you're so beautiful. You're not made out of dirt. And he took Adam's rib and he somehow he made her out of that. And whatever it was, it's just like us guys. Adam's going, baby, you're for me. Hey, baby, I want you. Beautiful to look at. A helpmate for me. You know why that is? Because God said to man, it ain't good for you to be alone, buddy. That's what he said. So I made a woman for you. Now women think different than men because we are different. We're not just different physically. Women can think out of both sides of their brains. Men can't get there. No matter how hard we try, we're left-brained. We think like a waffle. That's why when you get up in the morning, you say, where's my waffle? <laughs> we like the pastry part. We're stuck in chambers. There's a book entitled, Men Are, Men Are Like Waffles and Women Are Spaghetti. Women can think both sides of the brain at the same time, man. They're, they're amazing. They got, Lois solves problems before I realize there's even a problem frustrates the daylights out of me because I want to be the man <laughs> I want to solve the problems that she's got it solved already doggone it's funny how we are you gotta laugh at yourself right if you don't laugh a little bit Mary Hart does good like a medicine if you don't laugh at yourself in your marriage relationship you're gonna make it <laughs> you get too serious all kinds of differences. Men are from, I think there's a scripture that says men are from Mars. And <laughs> No, it's another one of those books. Women are from Venus. In other words, they see things totally different. They speak different. They hear different. I think I went to a seminar that said women have pink ears and men have blue ears. You know, so we, we hear things different. We're, we're chasing it. Like, who wants to sit down and, and watch the Lifetime channel? Or Rambo. Yeah, give me Rambo anytime over the lifetime channel. 
We, we need something with some action in it, not... Men don't do that. So God made them both equal, but he made them entirely different. God loves and celebrates our differences. And we are supposed to love and celebrate those differences well and not try to one-up on each other. All right, so while God focuses on the beauty of our differences, the devil wants them or us to try to hide our differences and then fight for equalities. That's said. So redefining our differences and our quest for gender equality has destroyed the definition of America in America in the definition of marriage in America rather we re, we redefine gender we redefine marriage we redefine sexual intimacy we redefine relationships we we're just into we're into we've been in redefining mode for like 50 years and then our politicians, as wise and wonderful as they are, scratch their heads, and our scientists, and they're going, what's wrong with America? Ugh. And you go, you idiot. I say that respectfully. <laughs> but don't you know that you shoved God clear out of his definition? You, you, you decided, God, we don't like your defining us and who we are and what we should be doing. So let's just get rid of you, and we'll make up our own. Thank you very much. And you just want to say, well, how's that working out? Well, we know how it's working out. Children are grow up, grow up in fatherless homes. No discipline. Very little. If it is discipline, it's yelling and screaming and hitting and angry. They stopped one guy because he had road rage and he shot somebody. And they said, what were you thinking? He said, I'm just angry. Let me give you a definition of marriage. We're almost done. Marriage defined. Marriage is the, the intimate union and equal partnerships of a man and a woman. Equal, equal partnership created totally different, but equal. It comes to us from the hand of God who created male and female in his image so that they might become one body and might be fertile and multiply. That's in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. Though man and woman are equal as God's children, they are created with important differences that allow them to give themselves and to receive the other as a gift. I need what my wife brings to the table. I need her. I can't do this by myself. I need her. And I want to commit to her. I don't want it to be open-ended so that I can just say, you know what, honey, I don't know if I want you around anymore. So, No ties. I'm free. I'm free. You be free. I'm free. No, I don't, I don't want to be free. That's not freedom. She has an important difference in her that allows me to be different at the same time. Now, for years, we didn't understand that, and I've got to tell you, we, um, at the end of 10 years, we were, we were heading for a divorce court. We were done. Um, she couldn't stand me anymore. And um, 
I don't blame her. And then the other side of that was I couldn't stand her anymore either, and, and uh, she didn't really blame me either. We just got to that spot. Now, we were religious, okay? We, were, we did the church thing, you know. We had a big study Bible on our coffee table in the house. We never read it. We just had it there in case people dropped in, you know, maybe make us look like we had Christ. I don't know. But we didn't have him. We were just putting on a show, going to church. Say that with me, church. And so we decided that, you know what, this is over. And um, then something happened to me, and I got saved. Okay, I'm not going to go through that story. Many of you know it. God really literally laid his hand on my shoulder because I'm a knucklehead, and I need that. And if God wouldn't have laid his hand on my shoulder, I'd still be a knucklehead doing my own thing. So God did something in me that just exploded in me from the inside out. So we got together, and we said, okay, let's, let's let God solve this. So the first thing the Holy Spirit brought to both of us was that you guys need to talk about your differences. And so I said, Lois, I want you to make a list of all the things that irritate you about me. Now, we were doing that anyway. <laughs> Before, you understand, that comes natural. But this time we were doing it for the right reason. reason. And, and she said, okay, you write down the things that irritate me about you to you, irritating you. So then I said, okay, we did that, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to go through these, and both of us are going to work on those things. We're going to actually behave differently. Behave is good. So her list was like rolls, paper. (laughs) And uh, I had like one or two things on on a little little sticky note. No... (laughs) So anyway, we we went through the list, and we purposed in our heart. We said, God, with your help, we're going to get through this thing, and I'm going to make those changes. And she began to make changes in her life, and guess what? As she began to respect me, as we opened up the scriptures together, and we went to church now for the right reason, And as we began to see what God's plan was for us and began to initiate that plan, put it into practice, and actually behave differently, love increased between us. We will celebrate 51. Oh, God. (laughs) 51 years in November the 15th. I even got that right. I written down. Fifty-one. So that's forty-one years. People say, "How long were you married?" Well, we were married forty-one years. A really great marriage. The first ten were a pit, and it's true. Now I say this to you to finally come to a close. <laughs> Like I say, there's so much, so much I'd like to share with you. Get this. Never compromise God's plan for marriage because you don't understand it. 
Don't compromise it because it's a mystery to you. Live in the mystery of it. And let God reveal the wonder of the mystery as you live through it. You'll live. You won't die. Might seem like it sometimes. You won't die. You'll live. Let God reveal the mysterious plan of this relationship between two people that aren't compatible at all. If you're looking for compatibility, forget about it. Get a black lab. Because it ain't going to happen. If you're looking for, well, I'm just going to ignore conflict. I don't do well in conflict. Then don't get married. It's okay. You're going to have conflicts. But you work your way through them. You talk about it. When the other person says, you know, when you do that, that really bothers me. You say, oh, I'm sorry, honey. Please forgive me. I'm going to work hard at changing that. Go figure. True love creates a difference. As I said earlier, we have a relationship with God that makes us different. And if we're going to be a witness to this world about how it works, it's going to work best in the marriage. That's a thumbs up for God. And he's going... Really? You want me to be a part of your marriage? You want me to be a part of your relationship? You're going to stop hiding from each other and hiding from me? And God's going, okay, I'm with you, man. I don't have to come looking for you anymore. I don't have to come and say, hey, John, hey, Lois, where are you? You're right there, and I'm with you. All the way through it, through the ups and downs, through the disappointments, through the pain of it. Just... My wife still makes some major mistakes? No. It's little ones. But we work through it. It doesn't get any better than that. I don't want her to go away. I want her to stay and love her. So the marriage difference is different. I say that because it's a different view than the worldview of what marriage is. That's what I want to give to you today. But So don't compromise that plan just because of the pain that you've experienced or you're trying to rewrite what God planned. Don't rewrite it. Big trouble. Don't rewrite it. Watch what happens when you get it right the way he wrote it. Work on what he says it should be, not what Hollywood says or some book that you're reading says or what the internet says or do you do it God's way? True love has, makes a difference. So two things. Love enough to forgive each other. Honey, I'm so sorry that I did that. Will you please forgive me? Did you hear what I said? That's important. Oh, I'm sorry. I used to say it that way, and she said, yes, you are, Buster. <laughs> and I'll say, honey, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. 
And may I just say to you and remind us today as we go our way, the power of the resurrection of Christ is found in peace. If you don't have peace, you've never found the power of the resurrection of Christ. Think about that. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I to you. Peace. The power of the resurrection is peace. When I lay down my life as Christ laid down his for the church, he gives peace because he laid down his life. I give peace to my home as a man as I lay down my life for my wife and for my family. And that's all I have to say about that. Would you stand with me? You've been gracious here to this morning. Listen, there's no guilt and there's no condemnation in this. God understands where you are. We were in that, we were in a position to where it was a bad, bad deal. And God stepped in in a supernatural way. We didn't invite him in, he just stepped in. And I don't know why he did that. But he did. And all you have to do is ask him to step into your life, though. And he will. So wherever you are, and you know, maybe you're in a relationship and it's not quite what you want it to be, and you know, just invite God into it. And I know you can't, I can't change her. I can't, if she's decided that, you know, this isn't over, or if I decide it's over, you know, you, you can't badger each other and be mad at each other. You just got to kind of move on with life. But if you're here today and even moving on with life, then just please move on with life God's way. Don't move on in life with your way anymore. No, come on. Do it his way. And again, if you're here, I'll give you an opportunity today. If you don't have forgiveness and peace, you don't have, really you haven't got anything. So would you bow your heads with me? Jesus brings peace because of what he did for you. You say, Pastor, this morning, I want some of that peace of God that passes understanding. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Would you just slip up a hand, up and back down again? I used to be an auctioneer. I will see it. Trust me. And all of us here today, I ask you to purpose in your heart to do life God's way especially when it comes to your marriage. In Jesus' name, amen.